Hey guys, I'm Whitney. And I'm Kylie. Welcome to the Midwest Farm Wives Podcast. We are two millennial farm wives raising lots of littles, figuring out how to run ag businesses with our husbands, learning, loving, and living life day by day in America's heartland. If you landed here, you can expect uplifting positive real talk about being a farm wife, mom, and being a woman in agriculture, conquering all God gives us. We are so excited you're traveling on this back road with us. Okay, so we are back and we have our interviewee here, Lindley Anderson, and she is a friend of mine and lives fairly close to where I live now. So we are going to interview her about some of her life trials and tribulations and triumphs. So how are you, Lindley? Good. How are you guys? We're good. We are super excited to have you talk about this because her and I aren't super we don't, we don't experience it on a heavy level and we don't know anyone that experiences on a heavy level. So we're really happy to have you here to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a lot of stuff going on in my small town lately. Um, that makes me feel like I need to be more open and share my story so people can relate and maybe come to me if they, um, you know, are struggling and I hope that I can I can help people. So that's my main reason coming on here is that I hope that somebody that needs to hear this, hears this and uh, it can help them. And like, I wish I would have known a lot of the stuff that I know now back in like seventh grade. (laughs) Right. It could potentially save someone's life. I mean, that's what we, Kylie and I talked about how sharing our story can be really hard and you can get a lot of negative feedback, but also the good that comes out of it is so much on a higher level, better than the negative feedback. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So tell us. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So tell us where your journey with anxiety and depression all began. Um, so it started in, um, middle school. Uh, I think actually it probably started in third grade, but I really, um, was diagnosed with it, um, in seventh grade. Um, you know, seventh grade was hard for me. I lost, uh, my best friend's dad died. My brother was in a car accident. His friend passed away. And then I had a teacher that, um, passed away. Um, actually that was in eighth grade, the teacher passed away, but it all seemed to be like right around in there. But anyways, um, you know, there was things that I was like trying to get involved in. I was trying to get into sports and stuff, but that's when my anxiety really hit is I would like get into sports and feel like I, you know, we'd have to travel or go somewhere. And all of a sudden I would like panic. Um, I thought that if I, you know, left my family or something, something bad was going to happen. That's where my fear really started is that I was scared that somebody was going to die. Um, you know, or, um, something bad was going to happen either to me or my family, but more, it was my family. I was more worried about something happening to my parents. Um, and I tried to kind of explain that to my parents at the time. And I definitely, I'm going to start, I don't mean to like talk negatively about my parents. They just didn't understand, even though it runs in my family, um, you know, anxiety and depression. I don't think they had recognized it at such a young age. So when I started going through this stuff, I think they kind of, you know, and my older brother, like thought I was being like a baby. They just didn't understand it, which then just made it even worse for me. But, um, you know, definitely not trying to get sympathy out of that, but that's just kind of where it was like really frustrating for my family and for myself. But anyways, so, um, 
I uh, started to just like, you know, my anxiety would hit and I'd want to back out. I wanted to quit things. I didn't want to continue doing things. Like it was so bad that I wouldn't go stay with friends at their house. Um, you know, just all these little things that was basically debilitating me and taking it, taking away from me being a young middle school, a uh, middle schooler. So, um, my mom finally was like, okay, we're going to take her to the doctor. Cause I was like physically making myself sick all the time. Um, always had a belly ache, always had like all this stuff. And, um, she took me to the doctor and they, the doctor then at that time nailed it. He's like, you know, you have nothing, you know, physically going on with you. It's all like, you're worrying yourself sick. And, um, you know, I, I think he used the word worry wart, worry wart, how do you say that? And, um, it kind of stuck with me ever since. And it, it was so true. And I could tell, um, when I was starting, like, okay, so after that, he actually sent me to a therapist for a while. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't really hit it off with the therapist. I think if you're going to see a therapist, you need to like really find one that you connect with. Um, she did teach me some stuff that I still can remember, but it, there was definitely, um, I didn't enjoy it. I hated it. I drove my feet. It like, wasn't life changing for you. No, it was not for me. Like, I mean, I can remember her, she taught me how to recognize when it was like coming and basically to like take some deep breaths and like, um, you know, like try to avoid or like shift your mind, I guess, from what you were worrying about. And like, just to basically be like, you're going to be okay. You know, like you're worrying about something that more than likely is not going to happen. So, so, so she did you went in eighth grade. Is that how old you were when you went to the doctor? Um, I actually think it was seventh or I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but it was seventh or eighth grade for sure. Um, yeah. And then I, I, I can't remember how many counseling sessions I went to probably four or five. I probably would have went to more if I didn't fight it, um, so much, but at that time too, um, at the same time, like when I had seen the doctor, they put me on a really low dose, um, anxiety medicine. And I think my parents could also tell that that was really helping me. But, um, fun fact with that, I gained like 30 pounds on that, that first, um, antidepressant. So in middle school, oh, gaining 30 pounds, like terrible you know, right away, it was, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, middle school was rough. Like I was a farm kid, lived 20 miles out in the country. So I really middle school is when, you know, you start to like make those friends. And like a lot of people were already playing sports together and I'm, I'm a very competitive person, but I've never really got to like be as athletic as I would have liked to. I would have had to work a little harder than other people, but I also like held myself back. And I feel like if you're not involved in sports and all those things in middle school, you are like a loser and kids are mean to you. And, um, you know, so I had friends, but they switched like day to day. It was just like, it was weird, you know? And like, there was a lot of things that I couldn't be a part of just from being a farm kid. And, um, if I feel like people can relate, especially to your guys's network, being a farm kid raised being like, you know, you don't get to do as much. Like there's a lot of things that I got that other people did that I'm so grateful for now looking back, but I used to pray to move to town. It right. Never so, would. so my sister-in-law, she's dealing with that now, you know, they have a 13 year old and a 10 year old. And so like even Bodie, he's been invited to like go on Saturday mornings to basketball. And I'm like, no, he's six. And I'm not driving to town 15 minutes to take him to like little kids basketball. And I know that she's had to learn to tell her kids no, and her kids get upset. But I, just like you said, like they'll look back someday and be so grateful at the life they're living now. 
I wasn't even a farm kid. I just grew up in town to start with. And I got just to that age where I could ride my bike around with my friends. And then my parents were like, Hey, we're moving to the country. (laughs) And I remember feeling so devastated. So like, I didn't even have the farm background, but I knew like living in town was something that I always wanted to do because kids got to, you know, I was just getting that age for freedom. So I can totally relate. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, it's kind of crazy. Like this just got brought up just me talking, but I kind of, you know, I'm so appreciative of being a farm kid, but, um, that back in the day did cause a lot of problems for me. And I was, I just like, and I didn't feel like my parents really understood it. And it was just so frustrating. And like, I felt like I would have had better friends and these friends would invite me to their birthday parties and sleepovers if I would have been more available. But anyways, so, um, kids were mean. Um, I feel like you either went through that in middle school or you didn't. And um, so yeah, middle school wasn't really fun. And I think my anxiety and depression also probably caused me to be maybe weird to kids. You know, like, like I said, I, it's not like I, what was weird is that I was popular, but I wasn't. It was like just quick to turn on me. And it, w- it was just like really frustrating. It's like, next thing you knew I was, I was friends. And next thing I, like, I didn't, I didn't have any. It was just, it was really weird. And you know, that I held on to that for quite a while. But anyways, then let's skip to Adam at Medicine. I went to a therapist. Things started to get better, you know. Um, got into high school. High school, like, really found good friends, um, you know, and just kind of, I think myself, like, I wasn't as anxious. Just just was starting to, like, really figure out how to deal with my anxiety and depression. And um, for sure, taking a medicine changed my life. And I think my parents kind of started to understand, you know, like, okay, wow, like serious, obviously taking a medication changed our daughter. So, um, but you guys, I'm going to tell you too, I didn't tell anybody that I had anxiety and depression. I didn't tell anybody I was on a medication. I was absolutely embarrassed by it. If I went and stayed with somebody, I hid my pills. Um, like I, or I wouldn't take them. Um, it was something that I was super, super embarrassed by. And kind of at that age too, you, you know, like, you know, that people can easily make fun of you for stuff. So you, you hide that. So anyway, so I, I hid that for a long time. And then, um, so high school was great, went to college and college started out awesome. I was scared to go to college because of like my anxiety and depression and being outside of my comfort zone. But you know, I, I pushed through that and things ended up being great. And then, um, about towards the end of middle school or end of high school, excuse me. Um, my grandparents started to like all lose their health and I'd lost all four grandparents that all were local to my hometown within five years. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Then we had, we had a hired man die. We had, um, I mean, it was seriously like death after death. And it was like, threw me right back into middle school. And I'm just like, it was, I was constantly do you feel like your anxiety started because of the trauma of losing people? And then that made you nervous about your family or was it like before that? Well, see, like in third grade, um, there was some stuff like with like a teacher that was kind of a little more like she favorited certain kids and stuff. And like, you could tell that she would kind of like, I feel like bully certain kids. So I started noticing anxiety and not wanting to go to school um, because I didn't care for her. Um, so that's what looking back, I can see that, but like the depth of stuff. Yeah. I don't, I know that started with the, tr- like when I, when I started to lose people that I cared about, like my anxiety of death and not wanting to leave my family and get outside of my comfort zone. Like, yeah, def- it definitely started there. And, you know, but it, it points that like, I completely forgot about it, but it was, there would be times where I would be like, it completely debilitated me. And I was like, I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to like, 
I just was always wondering who's next, you know, and I don't know, you guys live in small towns, but I don't know if you guys go by like the three rule. Like it feels like people die in threes. Absolutely. And I like, I work in the medical field now and I still see that happening. So it's like, you're waiting after like, you hear one person dies, like, you know, two more are coming or, you know, or like if it gets to five, then there's going to be six people die. Like it's, it's weird. I don't know. It's just, it's a thing. But anyways, so after my grandparents passing away and, um, you know, our hired man and all that. And honestly, I will say too, like my parents changed so much going through that. And, um, then, um, and, and losing a hired man, the hired man was like a child to my parents. So I saw them really, really change. But at that time I was still in college. So kind of picked up back on my feet pretty well because I wasn't in you know, the actual area that all happened. I was able to go back to college, kind of live my life again. Um, and then I also, though, there was times in college I tried to get off my medication because I'm like, you know what? I'm doing good. I've got good friends. I'm working out, like all this stuff. And like, I got off the medication probably six months before my first uh, grandparent died. And we were out in Colorado, like with hospice waiting for her to pass away. And I like had an anxiety attack. And, um, my parents were like, you have not been taking your pills. I'm like, yep. So anyway, so then they called my doctor, they got a medication and it was like a more fast acting medication. And like for anyone that's listening, if you've been on some medications or you haven't, I feel like a lot of people don't want to get on them. And a lot of people have maybe tried one and it didn't work as I probably take six, six or seven different antidepressants. And, um, they don't all work the same and some may work for others may not work for you. And you know, there's a lot, the sun may have some side effects. Like it's, you know, again, but that's something I just wanted to throw in there. If you guys are ever needing help with anything like that or questions about antidepressants, like talk to your doctor or reach out to somebody that knows a little bit more about them. But anyway, so they sent me an antidepressant, typically antidepressants take like two weeks to kind of set in before you really notice something that like it's working. This antidepressant they sent to me at that point was like, I noticed in like two, three days, um, a little more expensive, but it was one that was like, okay, like I'm, I'm back up on my feet. I didn't have to like suffer for two weeks before it would kick back in. So that was probably one of my first. So I guess my question is, I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to know, was that when you self chose to stop medicating and then you realized that you needed to go back on it. Was that kind of your like revelation to say like, okay, I need to stay on my medicine. Like I can't do it on my own right now. Um, yeah, a lot of times I will be honest though. Cause that wasn't the first or that was the first, but it wasn't the only time I've still like, as of a year ago, tried to come off the medication because it's like probably just in the last six months have I realized, all right, Lindley, it's just like having high cholesterol or having high blood pressure. Like you, you need this and it's okay. Like you don't need to like, you know, cause I still like, I work out every morning. I do all this stuff and it's really frustrating. It's like a constant battle with myself, but I'm like, why am I not good enough to not be able to like have to take a medication? So, um, at that point, it's always my family or my closest friends that seem to notice, I think first that, um, Hey, are you taking your medicine? You know, um, it, I don't notice it myself cause it's kind of like a gradual thing. So, um, at that point, like, obviously I know that I was going through some extra stress. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I need to get back on this. And I was completely out of my routine out in Denver, like watching my grandmother pass away. So it was like, okay, yeah, you're right. I need this again. But, um, so, um, let's see, where was I? I think we'll go ahead and jump through. Cause like, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of stretching this out, but after college, I moved back to my hometown and I met a guy and, um, you know, I felt like my anxiety was pretty 
pretty um, controlled and stuff. Didn't really think about it much anymore. Um, dated him for about eight months and he ended up passing away. And I'll be completely honest, um, some of the friends that know me really well, I used to say, like, I didn't have very good luck with dating. And um, I always thought one day I'm going to actually finally fall in love with somebody and something bad's going to happen to him. Like I manifested that. Like I literally, I believe in the law of attraction. Like I, like, obviously I don't think I'm the reason he's not here anymore, but I literally worried about that from when I first start, like wanted to be in like a serious relationship and finally find someone. I worried that like, I'm going to fall in love with somebody and then they're going to, something's going to happen to them. And I even had that conversation with Garrett and he's like, he was an ad pilot and he's like, why would you end up falling in love with me? Like I have a very dangerous job. I'm like, well, turns out you can't control who you love, you know? So anyways, um, he passed away in a plane crash and like, it's still to this day, it's been a little over five years. It seems like a movie. Um, it doesn't seem real. It's just all like, it's just crazy. And to be completely honest, I did not think I was going to live through it, nor did I really want to. So back in like middle school in those days when I was struggling with depression pretty bad, there was times I thought about suicide, but it was just kind of crossed my mind. And I just kind of was like, well, God, if I just end my life, like nobody would care. Like, you know, like I kind of like had those thoughts. Um, but then I, I never really thought, I guess I remember when I first started driving, I drove, started driving at eighth grade because we had a farmer's permit. There was a couple times I'm like, oh, if I just drove my vehicle off this cliff or whatever, like, you know, but I never really, really thought about doing it. It kind of crossed my mind. And then I was like, that's terrible. What are you doing? You know, and I, I kind of not think about it anymore. But when Garrett passed away, like I had friends calling me, my parents were trying to be there with me all the time. And um, my mom actually like kind of suffocated me. Um, I feel really bad looking back and, you know, we've talked about it now, but she tried to, I mean, she just wanted to hug me and hold me and like literally take my pain away. And, but she was really um, freaking me out and like being weight. So she was smothering the hell out of me. So anyways, um, I uh, remember one night, um, going, laying in my bed and, um, I would, I would like medicate myself. So I with Benadryl. So I would sleep because I was so terrified to wake up and in the middle of the night when it was dark and whatever. And, um, basically for my own men mentality, I was scared. I, I wanted to be alone, but I didn't want to be alone, especially at night. So I would literally take Benadryl. So I would not wake up. And then I like, when I woke up, it was in the morning and I would just go to work and whatever and do what I had to do. But so there was one night I was laying in bed and the Benadryl hadn't knocked me out yet. And I'm just like, I just remember, you know, bawling, screaming, like, God, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, no one can say the right things to me. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm, you know, um, you know, people are trying, like they're, they're reaching out to me. Like one of my best friends, like I pushed her away really bad. She was living in Memphis at the time. And, um, she tried to like check in on me a couple times a week. And she, it was always like the same thing. How are you doing? Well, like, how are you doing is something that I still find myself asking people when like they lose somebody or they're going through something rough. But it's one of those questions. It's like, you don't like you end up saying good or whatever, but it's, it's awful. It's a really crappy question when you're terrible and like, or when you're feeling terrible. And I can remember going to work and living every day and the people around me were asking how I was doing and like whatever. And then when my best friend from high school kept trying to call me, and check up on me, I would ignore her phone calls and I'd be like kind of nasty with her because I'm like, I talk about this day in, day out and have to live this. Like, I don't, I know you're just trying to help me, but she would call me and want to know how I was doing. And I couldn't, I couldn't just talk about my day. I couldn't like, all I was thinking about was not having Garrett and just how my life was awful. And, um, I didn't necessarily hate on other people 
that they were still living a life, but that was something that was really hard for me is that the world didn't stop for me. Everybody was still going to work. Everybody was still like, you know, taking their kids to sports, having fun. I was like seeing on social media that people were still like happy and I was hurting so bad. I'm like, how is it that they can be happy? And I'm like dying inside. Like, so that was something that was really hard for me. Like, you know, there was friends getting married and like, I didn't go to weddings. Like, not that I wasn't happy for them. Cause I absolutely was, but I'm like, I can't physically be there without bawling and losing it. And like, I can't appear happy. Like it was just at that point. So anyways, I laid in bed that night and I begged God. I'm like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I had told my parents that I don't ever want to get in a relationship again. I never want to have kids because I never want to feel this hurt again. I never want to love somebody so much and then lose them. And, um, you know, that broke my mom's heart hearing that, but it was true. I still like going back to that time. Like I completely meant that at that point. Um, so anyways, I asked God, I'm like, God help me. Like, I cannot do this anymore. Like at that point I was thinking, you know, like, I'm like, okay, I could shoot myself. Um, but that would, I don't know if I could actually pull the trigger. You know, I can't, I, you know, I was literally going through all the different ways to try and kill myself. Um, and I was scared. Like what I, what knowledge I know in the medical field, I'm like, knowing my luck, I will try and I will end up being, you know, um, a vegetable or whatever. And my, my family's gonna have to take care of me or I'm going to have to like mentally like live with myself if I didn't actually like end up fully dying. Like that was one of my biggest fears. Like I wanted to die, but I was scared that if I tried that it would, I wouldn't actually end up killing myself and it would like, I would have to live with that the rest of my life. So, and I worried, I worried that God would deny me and I would go to hell. Um, so I, I broke down. I did the only thing I'm like, all right, you know, like I've always believed in God, but I'm like, everyone always says that like, God's the only one that can help you. So I, I screamed to him. I told him, I'm like, Hey, like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. There's no one else that can help me. Like if you're the God that everyone says you are like, please, please help me. And so anyways, day by day, you guys, I just remember it be getting easier and easier and easier. And, um, I started to go to church with some friends and, um, but that I guess is what I want to talk about. Like what I really wanted to share my story is that, you know, people, never, I don't think they knew that I was hurting, but they don't probably ever realize like how close I was to really wanting to end my life. And, um, you know, already suffering from depression, anxiety, like I was taking my medications and stuff, but, um, there wasn't enough medications in the world at that point. And my mind was just sick. My mind was very much like all I could think about was losing him and not wanting to live anymore and wanting to see him again. Like I like, just craved a hug from him and his touch and all that. And like, it was never it was never going to get back. So, um, guys, I'm getting, I think that one of the most powerful things that you said was that everyone's life goes on when you're still hurting and that hurts even worse. And yeah. I think that's one thing that's not, you know, we talk a lot about mental illness and things that are going on in your life and it's, it's hard. I, I don't, I'm, you know, I have never experienced it, but I think that's the most powerful thing that you've said so far. You've been through so much tragedy and it was so hard for you to like watch other people get married or even just go to work. And that made it even harder on you. And I think that that's something that we don't think about and that makes it even harder. And social media today makes it even harder. Right. Right. And my, I had a friend that lost her mother to um, just a sudden heart attack. And um, I remember telling her that like, you know, I'm like, the world's not going to stop, but thank God it doesn't stop you guys. Because if the world stopped for us in that time, we'd never get back up on our feet. Like I remember looking around and being like, God, can you just give me a week? Can you give me a week to catch up? Can you give me, you know, whatever. And if it would have, I probably, 
I don't know, like you have to get back up on your feet. There's a lot of people that don't. And I remember telling myself, like, um, it was probably after I like broke down to God. Like, I remember saying that, like, I'm not going to be one of those people that just like become so depressed and like, you know, just like stay in my house all day and like never really like, I'm going to grow from this and I'm going to become, I'm going to do as much as I can to fight back. And, um, I guess that's, that's what I've done. It's been a lot like five years. I can't believe it's been that long, but I got even more into fitness. I got into an online fitness group and um, found some people I connected with. Um, guys, I'm telling you, if you struggle with anxiety and depression, um, working out, like will change your mind, will, will change your life. And it's, it's hard, like, um, you know, to get into that routine. And it's, it's like, at first you kind of like dread it, but once you start to see what it's literally doing for your life and how it sets your tone for the day. And I recommend you doing it in the morning because in the morning, our brain, like it, if you like, you know, get up and read your Bible, you, you get up and work out or whatever that literally sets the tone for the rest of the day. Um, versus like, like kind of like, I feel like people that work out in the afternoon, it's constantly in the back of their head, like, Oh, I need to work out. I haven't worked out yet. And if you just like get it out of the way in the morning, like I think especially for somebody that has anxiety and depression, um, it'll, it will help you so much. Um, so that's the tone uh, yeah. for your day. Absolutely. Like, you know, people used to say like, you should make your bed every day. And I'm like, that's stupid. I still don't make my bed, but <laughs> it's something, like, it's something that really does. Like when you make your bed, you accomplish something, you check something off your list. So it's like, all right, what's next. When you like get out of bed, you're sluggish, you go to work. It's like, you're never really like getting ahead. Um, so that's something for me when I get up and I work out, I'm like, all right, like you did something for yourself and you know, like you can, you can pretty well feel that like post-workout high and it carries out through most of the day, but. Okay. So one point that I want to go back to that you said was you were feeling suicidal and you like you never talked about it. You weren't even sure that several of the people that you're close with, your family, whoever didn't even know about it. Um, do you feel like if you would have talked about it, that it would have helped you? Or do you think that staying silent about it helped you get through it yourself? You know, that's something that that's a really good question because, um, you know, I still to this day, um, not that long ago, I told you last summer or last winter was pretty hard. Those thoughts kind of creeped back in and I don't even, can't even remember what, what, what it was. Like, I just know last winter was hard. It was long and I was like really struggling. Um, I went back to the doctor and they actually upped my medication again. Um, and when I opened up to her, um, she like freaked out on me, which I mean, that's what they're supposed to do, but you guys, I don't, I never wanted to go to some mental hospital. I didn't even want people knowing that I was taking a medication. So that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with is they don't want to admit to it because they think people are going to like jump to conclusions and into some loony bin, you know, or whatever. And like this last time I told my doctor that I was having those thoughts again or whatever, she wanted to force or put me into um, counseling. And I'm like, screw counseling. I hated it before. I don't want to do it. You know, like, I'm like, I just need to plug myself into positive, um, more positive things. And that's really what I did. And I really try to do that more. Like, I know what I, what I need sometimes though, I will say that like, it probably would help if I found the right therapist, it probably really would help. But, um, uh, yeah, the suicide thing that that's hard. Like, I feel like you need to find somebody that, you know, that you can talk to. And sometimes like a medical professional, because they have to treat it a certain way. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have changed that, to be honest, like that just like stems into the, what Kylie and I talked about earlier was, do you like, there's so many people out there that just hold it inside and aren't talking about it because 
because of what you just said, judgment, shame, um, whatever you want to call it, they aren't talking about it. So then they hold it in and get to the point where you got to. And then some people aren't strong enough to come out of that. Right. And, you know, I, I always think too, I think a lot of people, um, you know, I've seen, I hadn't really seen anybody ever commit suicide or not obviously seen, but I hadn't heard of that. Like my own thoughts in my head. Like I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. That was my own mind making that up. But now as of lately, there's been a lot of that going on. Um, and I keep thinking that I'm like, I know how close I was. I can't imagine what those people felt that actually were able to pull that trigger that were actually able to, you know, fully commit. Like it breaks my heart. Cause I literally feel like, um, it is the devil. It's like, we, we are, people with anxiety and depression are constantly fighting demons in their head and trying to be stronger than them. But sooner or later, that devil just keeps kicking us down. And it's almost like we do give up. And it's like, I appreciate you saying that I was strong enough, but I just feel like God had a bigger plan for me or something like those people that ended their life too soon. Um, I, something good's going to come from that is as terrible as it is like something like people are going to see that and hopefully go and get help. Like, um, you know, um, I don't, I don't look at them as being, you know, weak. Um, I actually, like, I hear a lot of people say, you know, oh my God, they committed suicide. That's the most selfish thing ever. That fires me up. That lights a fire in me that I'm like, you don't have a clue. Um, you know, and that's actually like those comments have made me start to like speak more and more in the last couple of years, because I've heard people say that. And it's like, you know, so-and-so had children or so-and-so like, you know, why didn't they think about the people they were going to hurt? Well, you guys, the thing is that they're so sick at that point that they can't see past, you know, it, it, and that's when people are living in that, they're only living in that moment. They're not thinking about the child, the children they could produce and, you know, or like the life that's going to be after them. They're literally, or the people that are going to bury them. They're literally thinking about, you know, like, I don't want to be here anymore. And that, and by that time they're so sick in their mind, more than likely they think that people would be better off without them. So, um, you know, it's, it's something that really, really frustrates me when people say, you know, that that's a, such a selfish act. Well, people that say that have no idea of obviously never felt it. And that's okay. We don't know what we don't know until we've experienced it but it's something that I've very passionate about that needs to be like like don't you know I've heard people say well it was probably like you know obviously the parents didn't do something right or there was something like no like you cannot say that it's a disability I'm gonna be be completely honest that I have said that before and now that you put it in that perspective it's like wow there's a lot of people that probably need to just hear you say that yeah. And it, 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 you know, like very religious people like to say that a lot and that like, you know, like I, I believe in God, but I wasn't raised like super religious. And I think that's something that, you know, they, they think that they let God down and they didn't turn to God versus, you know, like they just, they ended their life on their own without like letting God help them. Um, but you know, some of us weren't taught the right, like how to really call on God. And, and if you've never seen God work, like, I don't know. I think people were sharing enough stuff with me that I find like, okay, like I believe that there is a God, but can he really, I was basically skeptic. I was like, can he really actually help me at this point? And from that moment I saw him work and I've seen him work, um, in other ways in my life. You got to kind of be open to it though. Um, but yeah, like I do think that, um, a lot of religious, relig people that are very, you know, have a strong faith struggle with understanding why people commit suicide. And again, that is, that is okay. Um, to think that, but you've got, you've got to also understand that like, not just everybody wants to go out and commit suicide. Like they're obviously struggling with so much. And I think too, 
thank God I've never been this person, but people turn to drugs, people turn to alcohol, um, you know, and they're, they're fighting demons in their head and they, they find something like, you know, whether it's heroin, cocaine, you know, beer, liquor, whatever it may be, they find something that distracts them for a while. But what's sad is that those drugs are downers typically on top of that. And then you're just, you're digging yourself a deeper hole. So, um, I, I see that with some people that I'm like, you know, yeah, you're going to call them a druggie. You're going to call them an alcoholic, but, um, looking back, like they're fighting something inside them that made them kind of turn to that. So I try to be very like, I try to be more open to that kind of stuff too and not stereotype because I do work in the medical field and I see people cheat the system and try to, you know, get medications and, and drugs and drug seek and stuff. But, um, there's a lot of stuff that I think stems deeper that why, why they turn to that kind of abuse. So Lindley, if you're on the other side, I feel like you are such a good advocate for this topic and you've done a wonderful job. I appreciate you so much for sharing and being vulnerable. If you could give our listeners one thing or two things, being on the other side, something that maybe if they're in the middle of it, they can hear this and say, okay, like I can get through, what would that be? Um, you know, I would try to find somebody you can talk to about it because I can't imagine if my parents wouldn't have got like taken me and got me on a medication and I was the stigma. I think it's getting better, but you guys, life is way too short to live miserable and live with constant anxiety and depression. And, um, if a little pill daily is going to help that, like, don't overlook that. Like I can say that cause I didn't want to take one. I'm, I'm no longer embarrassed about taking it. I speak pretty, pretty, I, I can speak about taking a pill better than I can speak about saying that I had suicidal thoughts. Um, but a medication, you guys, I'm telling you, um, going to the doctor and talking about it and trying out a medication. And if the first one doesn't work, try something else, um, you know, and, and talk to your family a little bit about it because I do feel like family and our closest loved ones will notice if a medication's working first before you yourself would realize that. So um, definitely don't be against trying something like that. And I see so many people having this, I can like, I can point somebody out like pretty easy if they have anxiety and depression. And I've talked to a few of my very close friends and they still like, they, they deny it. They're like, no, I don't have that. And I'm like, oh my God, you have all like the classic signs, but it is until you're ready to go get it checked out. Like, you know, like I try to be open and talk to people about that. But another thing you guys is it is working out, um, plugging yourself into a positive environment. I know you guys have talked about this a lot, but surround yourself with people that want to see you happy and that want to help you get better. And like, whether that's a church group or whatever, like, and, and find people that aren't judgmental because, you know, we are for some reason, like designed to be judgmental, but find somebody that you can talk to about it. And that is really wanting to you to be happy again and help you and encourage you and, you know, send you texts to help remember that, like, you know, like you're worthy and like, you need, like, you're supposed to be here and just, just stuff like that. Like surround yourself with a good environment of people. Um, so yeah, personal development, never really knew what, what it was, but personal development is, is huge. So taking a medication, plugging yourself into personal development and finding yourself like a healthy network would be my biggest three takes. So helpful. Thank you so much. Okay. And I just want to add one thing that that I think that you have no idea how helpful it may be because we have so many listeners that have junior high kids is you saying that you thought that your parents thought you were being a worry wart or being a baby or whatever when you were younger like that may be signs for parents to see now that that they had no idea that that is real 
just like you said your parents didn't like that is going to be so helpful for someone else to hear out there I know that yeah and you know there's I mean I don't I feel like in our society we are raising kids to be like kind of sissies and stuff like that so it's like you don't want to be you don't want to be too easy on them but there's also like a thing like just kind of pay attention you know and um um you know plug yourself in if you have a feeling that maybe your kid is struggling with that do some research you guys we have so much like technology at our fingertips to be able to like look and see like you know is this normal you know like I think some classic signs are like kids starting to like back out of things you know and not wanting to be like you know like not wanting to go stay at friends' house not wanting to uh, participate in sports like wanting to stay in their basement in a dungeon like those are some signs that like just because you think maybe they're wanting to play video games maybe they're actually like just wanting to hide from the world so um you know and I feel like growing up on a farm, you know, like, and we all like, we don't want our kid to be that kid that just plays video games or something like that. And we might be, then be like, in return, be really hard on them, but try and kind of like, versus just being like, get out there, talk to them, just have a conversation with your kids and talk to them and, you know, slow, our lives are so busy, but just slow down and have a conversation and, you know, really see what's causing your child to recluse. That's great. Thank you so much for being with us today, Lindley. I, your story is uplifting for all. And I think this is going to be one podcast that everyone listens to. And I really appreciate you being so transparent. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. And I, yeah, this just helps one person. My, my job is done. It was worth, worth all the, the stress and nervousness to come on here. And I appreciate you guys for letting me share my story. Yes. And thank you so much for doing so. I know it took a lot of courage and I know that God kind of called you to do it after you had some tragedy in your town. And so I, I just really hope that so many people listen to this men and women alike. It's going to help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. We sure appreciate all of you listening today. We would love to reach more women in ag. If you would like, please share our podcast with your friends and let us know what you think. You can also find us on Instagram at farmwifeguru and at the grateful farmwife. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the Midwest Farmwives podcast on your favorite podcast streaming app. We'll see you next time. And remember, every day may not be good, but there is some good in every day. Stay grateful, friends.